0: it's reasonable faith with dr william lane craig glad you're here i'm kevin harris dr craig and i are going to be going back into the studio this week to record some podcasts, and there are so many things to talk about dr craig even has a few things on his mind concerning the upcoming presidential election in the states so stay close very interesting topics are coming up and today, we want you to check out this interview that Dr. Craig did earlier in the year, earlier in the pandemic, with our friend, Justin Brierly of Unbelievable. I hope you're familiar with Justin and his program, because it is second to none in its scope and presentation. And Dr. Craig has been one of Justin's guests many times. In this interview, Justin asked Dr. Craig for some insight into the problem of evil surrounding things like a pandemic, and to respond to some of the memes that various unbelievers post on social media criticizing belief in God during times of distress. In today's world of social media, these little memes you see everywhere are usually very concise and to the point, kind of like a bumper sticker on a car. And yet the answer to the meme may not be as simple, but it still helps to have a brief, concise answer in the fast paced digital world in which we live. So this interview is very important. Now let's get to Justin and Dr. Craig, but just a quick word, our annual matching grant is in place right now. That means your giving to reasonable faith will be doubled by a generous donor right now. This donor, will match whatever you give up to $300,000. So if you give $20, it becomes $40. If you give $50, it becomes $100. Whatever amount you give will be doubled by this very generous donor. What a blessing this is. So please take advantage of it. The world needs to hear the good news of Jesus and the reasons and evidence that support his claims. Give online right now at reasonablefaith.org. Here's Dr. Craig with Justin Brierley on Unbelievable.
1: Well, I'm joined now by William Lane Craig of Reasonable Faith. It's an international organization, uh, which is really about helping to defend the Christian worldview. And he's published many books, uh, spoken, debated, and uh, has a popular podcast as well, uh, many, many videos online too. Uh, Bill, thank you very much for joining me on the program Certainly. Today.
2: Good to be with you, Justin.
1: Um, just tell me, first of all, Bill, uh, what's life in lockdown looking like for you and Jan at the moment? Has, have things changed much for you since, since the restrictions came into play?
2: Well, I have to say I almost feel guilty that it's had so little impact upon my life I typically spend every day in my study, from morning until evening, um, writing and uh, reading, and that's what I've continued to do. I have had to cancel of three uh, speaking engagements uh, that would have required travel, but apart from that, uh, this has been a very productive time for me in writing my book on the historical atom. So I suspect that people like artists, writers, composers, artisans, who normally are sequestered in their study or studio or workshop, don't experience a great deal of disruption. And that's certainly been the case for me. Are
1: you missing, though, being able to meet with church people uh, on a Sunday? And, and obviously, you, you run your Defenders classes as well uh, on a Sunday.
2: That is one major difference. Yes, we're no longer meeting for Defenders, but in this digital age, I am still teaching Defenders every Sunday. We are um, podcasting it. So I record the lesson and um, we live stream it at the normal time and then post the video as well. And lately we've even added uh, a hymn, uh, which we normally sing in class, but now we have the music and the words on the screen. And so even Defenders class is going forward. So we're, we're very fortunate with Reasonable Faith being a, a web-based mm. virtual ministry. All of its activities are,
1: are going forward pretty much. That, that's great to hear. In, in a way, what would you say are the opportunities that this particular period um, enforces on people, this lockdown. For a lot of people, that simply means they're at home a lot more than they used to be, probably online a lot more than they might normally be. What opportunities does that present to evangelists and apologists who who want to see this time used for good?
2: Well, of course, we hope that it will make people more reflective. It's very sobering to think that you might die. Um, As an older American myself, I'm supposedly at higher risk. Though I have no underlying conditions and I'm very healthy, but it, it's a sobering thought to think, gee, this could be the way I come to an end through something like this. And so I hope that makes people more reflective about mm-hmm. the ultimate meaning and purpose of their existence and to think about the big questions. I also think this is a wonderful opportunity for Christians and others to do more reading. This is a great time to get those books that you've always wanted to read and to spend a few hours a day um, in study. So I would encourage folks to really use this time to better themselves intellectually through reading some good books.
1: Let's talk a little bit about some of the specific apologetic issues that this sort of issue raises. inevitably a lot of people are going to be asking the question at this point why does God allow something like coronavirus to suddenly change everything? Why why has God allowed a world in which a virus can run rampant in this kind of way? Um, It's the classic problem of suffering um, but in in this case it's a specific type of suffering. It's one that to some extent could be argued is not necessarily because of human freedom that we see the coronavirus uh, having its impact. Um, It's part of the nature, if you like. So so where would you begin with that kind of a question, Bill?
2: Well, I've tried hard to find some philosophical insight from this pandemic, but quite honestly, Justin, it, it really doesn't add anything new. We already have abundant examples of horrible evils in the world to choose from, to illustrate this problem. And so there's not a whole lot really new here that adds to what has already been said. I think in this case, we probably have suffering that is the fusion of both natural evil and moral evil, because although the pandemic is caused by a virus, it seems that human factors were involved in its initial careless handling. So there's both... The human factor and the natural factor involved. As I reflect on it, um, it seems to me that one of the things that we might take away from this is that it illustrates so well the point that I've often made in response to the problem of evil, that due to our cognitive limitations, we are simply not in a position to judge with any sort of confidence the probability of God's having morally sufficient reasons for permitting the suffering to occur. I've often pointed out that seemingly trivial events in history can be amplified to have worldwide repercussions, so that we have no idea whatsoever um, why a certain event might have been permitted by God to occur. And if indeed it's correct that this virus uh, was unleashed on the world through the careless handling of a lab technician, seemingly trivial, tiny events can really have worldwide repercussions. And that ought to make us very cautious about saying of any particular evil or suffering that God cannot have, or that it's improbable that he has morally sufficient reasons For allowing it to occur
1: Mm. i suppose ultimately what we're seeing though is that very often the natural evils that do exist in the world are often exacerbated by our human freedoms the the way we choose to respond so i can think of for, for instance you know earthquakes typically um are a natural evil but they affect those in developing countries far worse than in the West because of the disparity of resources and infrastructure and so on. So exactly. there, there is a degree to which human freedom is, isn't out of the picture when it comes to these issues.
2: No, I think that natural and moral evil are just inextricably intertwined in our experience. And if I might say one other thing that um, occurred to me as I thought about this, I've noticed a lot of snarky comments on the web and social media from Um, unbelievers criticizing believers for taking precautions to protect themselves with regard to the virus. Uh, They say, don't they trust in God? Uh, I thought they believed that God was in control. Um, Shows they don't really believe. uh, They're they're just like us unbelievers and taking these precautions. And I think that is just opening yourself up to a sucker punch from the problem of evil, because the lesson of the problem of evil is that God doesn't exempt Christians from suffering uh, in this world. We of all people ought to know that because we follow a crucified Savior who was innocently tortured and executed. So this idea that Christians ought not to take precautions but trust in God is just extremely naive. Every time we wear seat belts or are careful getting out of the shower onto the wet floor, uh, we take precautions because we know God has established a world that operates according to natural laws, and that He's not going to preferentially exempt us Mm. from the consequences of those laws.
1: And you know that those skeptics would equally be uh, quick to blame the Christians if they didn't take precautions. Um, so oh, so you, my you, can't, goodness. You, you can't win either way, can you? That
2: no, sense? you can't.
1: That's really true. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, going back, I mean, you've responded to many a, an atheist internet meme in your time, Bill, but another one that I've seen doing the rounds, whenever I've posted content on my channels from atheists is a picture uh, of Jesus pouring a vial of, you know, some sort of uh, virus onto the world and saying, now I'm just going to add a little bit of coronavirus into the mix. And there's this sense that many people have this idea of a God who is essentially some sort of sadist, you know, willing these acts to happen and for pain and misery to occur. How do you best answer that? And what what is the best picture of how we see God despite these kinds of events and, and circumstances?
2: I think we emphasize that according to the Bible, God's overall purpose for the human race is to lovingly and freely bring them into an eternal saving relationship with himself. This life is not all there is and therefore the purpose of life is not happiness in this life. Rather, God's goal for human history is to freely bring men and women into an eternal love relationship with himself, and that is an incommensurable good, not simply because it's eternal and everlasting, but because God is himself infinite goodness and love. And so to be in a personal relationship with the infinite good is incomparable. Uh, And so when God permits horrible suffering in this life, it is only with a view toward accomplishing his ultimate purposes, which is to bring people freely into relationship with an incommensurable good that far outweighs the shortcomings of this finite existence.
1: What comfort can we give, nevertheless, for those who are feeling the sting of the pain and the suffering, for those who either themselves or have close ones who are suffering from this virus or the knock-on effects economically and so on of what it yeah. may mean for jobs and so on? What, what, what would be your advice at a pastoral level, I suppose, for people? I think
2: here the resurrection of Jesus, which we just celebrated at Easter time, is the basis for our future hope. Uh, The Apostle Paul says that even though our outer nature is wasting away, nevertheless we have this hope of glory beyond all comparison to what we suffer here, and that is not pie in the sky, it is grounded in the historical resurrection of Jesus from the dead, who was the forerunner on our behalf. And um, that event, I think, as I've argued, is historically credible, And well attested and provides a solid basis for hope for the future, even in the face of the terrible limitations
1: and suffering of our finite existence on this planet. I've often felt that pain and suffering, as much as for some people it tends to make them drive them away from God or or to blame God, for others it actually causes them to draw close to God. And as C.S. Lewis famously said, pain is. God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. How, how do you hope that God may yet use this situation to draw people to himself? Do you, do you see that happening even now? Well, oh, I,
2: I think that what you just said is very true, Justin, and can actually be, I think, empirically demonstrated. When you read a missions handbook about the growth rates of Christianity around the world, what you find over and over again is that in countries that have suffered terrible natural and moral evils, countries like Ethiopia, uh, El Salvador, Indonesia, China, um, and so forth, the growth rates of evangelical Christianity are multiple times the population growth rate. Whereas in the comfortable, indulgent, materialistic nations of Western Europe and North America, there the growth rates are basically flat. So that, um, as one person pointed out to me, it's almost as though God has disfavored these comfortable Western nations by not allowing them to suffer in the way that much of the world suffers. Um, So I think you're quite right. When, When there is terrible suffering, In our lives, it does prompt us to turn to God for a source of comfort and hope, but when things are easygoing for us, then we tend to be forgetful uh, of God. So as you say, it's a kind of heads I win tails you lose situation. If things are going well, people don't think they need God. If things are going bad, then they blame God. Uh, what's, What's
1: God supposed to do? I suppose my hope in this, and I don't know what, what yours might be, Bill, is that the the church will be ready uh, and mm. Christians would be ready to meet people where they are as they experience these questions. Because for many people I've noticed just in my own social media timeline and as, as we broadcast services online and so on, lots of people that I wasn't expecting to be watching and to be looking for mm. some kind of hope appear to be suddenly searching. Good. Um, h- how, how, How can churches and Christians be ready, I suppose, in these uncertain times to make sure that we don't miss what God may be asking us to do right now?
2: Well, I think we need to be equipped with good answers. Uh, First Peter tells us that we should always be ready uh, with an answer for those who ask us, a reason for the hope that is in us. So we need to um, talk about the problem of evil and try to understand how one might rationally respond to it. But then what you just said, Justin, also brings another very important thing to the fore, and that is that Christians themselves are deeply involved in the social response to those suffering from this virus. Organizations like Samaritan's Purse are building clinics, staffing hospitals, um, going to nursing homes uh, and, and helping those who are shut in there all, I think, around the country, probably around the world, Christians are engaged in meeting the medical and economic needs of people. And that hands-on kind of Christianity, that tangible demonstration of the love of God for people, I think, is a powerful witness to the truth of the gospel.
1: Well, we can pray, obviously, that uh it will be an opportunity for many people to be introduced perhaps for the first time to a God who is there, even in difficult circumstances. Sometimes it is those circumstances that force us to seek that God out. But Mm. for now, thank you very much, Bill, bless you. And Jan, as you continue uh, in your ministry, Um, we look forward to hopefully seeing you in person at some point, once restrictions are lifted again. uh
2: i would love that i would very much like to be back in the uk again so all the best justin stay safe and keep up the good work